Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gutterblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you. Uh, How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, you're in a hotel in Portsmouth, having been the at the Ibis. I was going to say, I was wondering where The Athletic would have put you up. Was it the Four Seasons, the Ritz-Carlton? <laughs> but, but it's an Ibis hotel. It's the Ibis Portsmouth Centre, though, which is kind of the classier Ibis of the two in Portsmouth. I once spent two weeks in an Ibis hotel in a business park outside Berlin. Wow. It was phenomenally, unbelievably awful. I can't explain to you. It was just... Uh, why did, was, this deli- was this a holiday? What were you doing? I, it was when I was living in Spain and uh, I got a job working for, for eBay, managing their fraud department. Uh, a team Hel- of, Helping them do all the fraud. Yeah, helping them like do that. all the fraud. Yeah, exactly. So there was a team of people, uh, you know, Italian, French, Spanish, uh, English language, and I was managing that team. And uh, we had to go to Berlin to, to eBay's headquarters, which is, I guess, about 30 minutes on a train somewhere outside of Berlin, I can't remember exactly where, but it is literally in a business park. And so you'd walk across the road from the Ibis Hotel into eBay and then back to the Ibis Hotel uh, for the evening. And yeah, it's quite depressing. It was all a bit sort of, you know where Alan Partridge lived? It was a bit like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Linton Travel Tavern. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, you know, Fratton Park, Mm. the Portsmouth Stadium, that is kind of in a sort of slightly odd shopping park. Uh, it's like contained within a big complex with like a KFC and a McDonald's and a Tesco Extra, which seems sort of incongruous with this idea of it, this like old fashioned yeah. little ground. Um, but, you know, is useful if you fancy a KFC on the way home from the stadium. Did you get KFC on the way home? I confess I did. Okay. I confess I did. What did you get? Um, I got two pieces of chicken and <laughs> some chips. <laughs> Really living the dream there, James. I, and then I took it back to my Ibis. <laughs> this is a true story. And I was like, I wanted to, I, I was jumping in a cab because it was quite a far walk. The Ibis isn't particularly conveniently located. So I put the KFC in my bag because I was like, otherwise they won't let the, uh, they won't let me in the taxi with it. Mm. So then I got back to the hotel and unpacked the KFC, which of course was cold, but now all my belongings smell like the Colonel's secret recipe. 
Well, you know, I'm sure there are people who will pay good money for that, actually. Uh, True. <laughs> Imagine that. It's like a perfume. Oh, you know. God. Mm. Eau de kernel. Eau de chicken, yeah. Eau de um, chicken. Eau de poulet. Yeah, if people are wondering why you sound a little bit different today, it is because of a uh, a tragedy that happened somewhere in the a press tragedy. box in Fratton Park. Explain. Yeah, I- I expect black armbands from Arsenal players all the next game. So, right, let me tell you, right, this is a real first world problem mm. complaint. And I know that, okay? I know I've got a great gig and I'm very lucky to do this job. But the press <laughs> box at Pop Portsmouth, right, is infuriating. I don't know when Pratt & Park was built, like a hundred years ago or something like that. And I, people at that time must have been little, tiny people like queen victoria queen victoria sized all of them yes i mean little elf people must have been writing the match reports back in those days i this press box i had to sort of climb into it james ollie was sat next to me and he's about six foot six and like barely fit in he had to sit on the end so he could have his legs hanging out um and basically once you're in you can't move. And I think amidst in the confusion and the desperation to get out, I may have left behind my adapter for my, to pl- allow me to plug my microphone in. So I've gone on the onboard mic. Yeah. That, um, well, look, you know, we're nothing if not uh, capable of improvising and making sure that people have a podcast, even if the sound quality is not quite what they expect. But we appreciate the fact that you have taken one for the team in terms of sitting in a tiny press box and uh, eating cold chicken. I should also point out that my seat in the press box was perfectly aligned so that I had a pillar in front of each goal. So <laughs> I don't know how much use I'm going to be on this podcast, but okay. I'll do my best. All right. Well, look, we'll get into it. Arsenal are through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup after a 2-0 win over Portsmouth at Fratton Park last night. Uh, an interesting game. I think there was plenty to talk about, not least the fact that there were uh, some changes from the team, which uh, uh, lost to Olympiacos. I think we all expected that Mikel Arteta would rotate his squad. There was a debut for Pablo Marie at the centre of our defence. Um, and six players uh, aged 20 or under uh, away from home in an FA Cup game. You know, one of those one of those ties which could go against you. You know, the circumstances, the the the, uh, the home team are, are very much the underdogs. They're sort of up for the cup. They don't have anything to lose and can play with a certain amount of, of freedom. So any real surprises in the starting lineup for you? I guess Socrates at right back again was was one um, and we'll yeah. maybe talk about what Arteta said about Ainsley Maitland-Niles a, a bit later on but um, it, it seemed to me pretty much what I was thinking in terms of, uh, of the team he was going to select based on based on the fact that we've played a lot of games uh, in the last few days and, you know, he does need to give some players minutes um, to, to see what they can do. Yeah, and there were four that he left out of the squad entirely, weren't there? Aubameyang, Ozil, Bellerin and Mustafi, I mm. think, who are all sort of fit, apparently, but just sort of uh, left out, given a chance to recuperate. I suppose the only other selection that I wondered about was maybe Rob Holding you know would he mm. get a, a game at centre half but it, I think it made sense to to put Louise alongside Mary for a bit more experience mm. and he's a bit more in the rhythm of playing um, no other than that I thought the team you know pretty much made sense and you know it was another opportunity for 
Martinelli and Ketia, you know, that quite youthful attack to see what they could do. Yeah, it, it was, a, I suppose, a slow start. Portsmouth were well and truly up for it. They they uh, yeah. worked hard, they pressed hard, and we were, I think, affected by uh, an early change, which we wouldn't have liked to have made, which was Lucas Torreira being taken off uh, after about 15 minutes um, mm. with an injured ankle after a heavy a heavy challenge from the Portsmouth defender, James Bolton. Um, what what are your thoughts on the the challenge? Um, you know, I saw a lot of people, and I have to say, in in real time, I was looking at it and thinking, "Ooh, that was quite, that was kind of dangerous." There was a bit of scissors action there. I looked at it again this morning, and I, I sort of, with a bit of time and a bit of distance, I look at that tackle and I think, "What would we have? How would we have reacted if Socrates had crunched in, uh, you know, to an opponent in that way? If if one of our players had shown that kind of defensive commitment, you know, I think we uh, the consequences obviously for Torreira are unfortunate and it's not great, but." Um, you know, I do wonder if perhaps um, we need to just look at things from the other angle sometimes and think, how would we react if our player had done that and there were calls for, you know, yellow cards or, or red cards even? So, Yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree, actually. I, You know, if Terreri gets up and walks away from that tackle, I'm not sure we think too much of it ever again. Um, and I know that isn't what happened, but I think... It's a full-blooded challenge, certainly. And I think potentially, maybe, maybe you might see a yellow card for that. But, I mean, I think he pretty cleanly takes the ball. Mm. Um, it's the scissor element, isn't it, that's problematic. Uh, but even that, I think, is kind of just a function of having legs. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right. Like, I, I think it's it's one that obviously, you know, affected us and affected Torreira. But I don't think it's... A particularly bad challenge. No, I mean, I think that you can tell the difference when a guy goes out to do a player or to, to tackle in a way which is designed to hurt them. And I think we can look at examples this season. You think about Nicolas Pepe at, at West Ham, where there are a couple of really heavy tackles on him which were cynical, which were designed to get more of the man than the ball. And I think last mm. night the Portsmouth player looked to get the ball first. And I think that the, 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 uh, the unfortunate consequence, and I do think it was, it was bad luck more than cynical intent or desire to, to hurt the opposition sees uh, Sotorera get get hurt, you know, so I think we, we do have to draw that distinction between uh, you know, those those kind of challenges, but anyway, you know, he's he was um, taken away uh, on a stretcher, yeah, a lot of pain, yeah, yeah. Lot of pain. Um, I did like, I was listening to a Spanish commentary um, maybe it was ESPN um, from one of the South American ESPNs anyway and they were talking about, well Torreira is not the kind of guy who who uh, you know makes the most of of contact. And I was thinking, have you have you ever watched Lucas Torreira? I mean, he can look like he's you know in bits one minute and he's up on his feet again, you know. So that um, mm. the, you know it, it, it was clearly a, a tackle which caused him some problem and some pain. And we hope the scans are are clear. Um, he seemed to say to ESPN Uruguay by yeah. halftime had got in touch with Lucas Torreira's dad. Yeah, <laughs> who was able to tell them that he was able to move his leg and he was fine. I mean, and have a picture of his foot as well. You've got to love modern media, eh? I know, absolutely incredible. Well, I saw that and you know tweeted it out saying I think you know he's going to be okay. But then uh, I must say he really limped onto the coach last night. He was mm. on crutches. He had the protective boot, and you know Arteta was 
a lot more cautious about uh, the state of Torreira's yeah. ankle. So uh, we'll see. I mean, they'll have to scan it in the next couple of days. It looked it looked bad. So if he has yeah. got away with it, then that's great, to be honest. Yeah, hopefully just a bit of bruising and nothing more serious than that. Um, because, you know, for a time I was a bit worried it was going to be a, a season end ender. Looked it. Looked, it, looked it, it and looked it. Ceballos came on... Um, and I think, mm. you know, he. You know, we'll talk about him, I think, particularly in the second half, we can talk more about Arsenal in terms of what we did. But I think a, c- a couple of times in the first half, we, we lived a little bit dangerously. There was a very good chance for Portsmouth around the half hour mark where the guy headed wide. Um, mm. And it was one of those games where you're thinking, okay, uh, is the first half going to pass us by? Are we going to, are we going to have to go in and take stock and try and come out again better in the second period? But the goal that we scored um, just before halftime was a very timely one indeed. Socrates at right back, I think you know, I've I've got I've said this before to you, I've got so much sympathy for uh, central defenders who are asked to play at fullback, and even Arteta <laughs> said afterwards, you know, he has a bit of a moan about it because it's not really his his position and it, it requires a lot more physicality than it does at centre half where you can sort of step back and read the game and, and you don't have to you know tear up and down the wing all day every day but what a finish from Socrates and what a really great ball in from, from Reese Nelson who was probably the most impressive Arsenal player on the night and I think definitely in the first half as well. Oh yeah, I thought Nelson was excellent. This was a great delivery and a really, really good finish. I mean, I have to say, when he took that away, mm. I sort of had to slightly double take, not just because of the pillar. Uh, I was like, who scored that? And it was Socrates as he sort of jogged away very casually, like, hey, ain't no thing, you know, I do this all the time. Yeah. Um, it, it was a timely goal because I don't think Arsenal had been very good in the first half. Arteta was cutting a pretty frustrated figure on the sidelines. It felt like there was a lot of the time where sort of the centre-halves would have the ball, but not really an obvious route out. Mm. And um, there was a lot of sort of shouting at Joe Willock going on about where he was positioned. Uh, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of different things that weren't happening for Arsenal. The, the young players, it seems strange saying it in the light of the way the game turned out, but looked a little bit... Uh, not overawed, but slightly caught in the headlights. And um, yeah, it was a very, very timely goal and one that settled everyone down and put Arsenal in a much more comfortable position. Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're looking for a response from the team, which w- was beaten by Olympiacos. Mm. Um, but you're also bringing in a load of young players and, you know, cup, fo- uh, cup football is quite different. It can be quite intense. And as we said, you know, Portsmouth had, had nothing to lose. Their season is about getting promoted to the championship more than the yep. FA Cup. So, you know, you can... They made a load of changes yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly, they did. So, um, you know, I, I think it's understandable if we started a little bit slowly and... Um, what was pleasing was the reaction in the second half because... You know, Portsmouth were were dangerous at times in that first half. They really weren't in the second at all. And I think what was what was good about what we saw from Arsenal in the second half was a a sort of increased uh, energy and playing the game at a, a faster pace, but also the control. There was a period at one point in the second half where I don't think Portsmouth touched the ball for about two or three minutes. If yeah. that, we just kept the ball, kept possession, we worked it forward, we worked it back. Okay, maybe there isn't the incisiveness that you would like from an attacking point of view all the time, but just to play with that kind of control, particularly when you're 2-0 up, um, showed a, a level of maturity for me from young players, which I think is really promising. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, we scored two goals only six minutes apart in the context of the game. So I think that really helped to sort of settle the tie quite swiftly. But I thought it was telling that, you know, he wasn't in a hurry to get more experienced players on Arteta to see this out. You know, he had Lacazette sat there, didn't use him at all, didn't use Shaka until the 87th minute, didn't use Pepe. You know, I thought maybe through the second half we'd see him get some older heads on to steady it but it wasn't necessary you know the the younger players and the players who were out there really were in control we didn't need to change anything and I think that does speak well to the to the players because it is an unusual type of game a different type of game and I think we ended it with something like 73% possession it was Mm. so you know, I think that does show our, our dominance. Yeah, I think as well it's a way for Arteta to look and see how the players react in in, di- in different situations. So can you, can you get yourselves ahead? Okay, you can. Now, what can you do in these circumstances? Can you build on the league? Can you protect the league? Can you play, you know, possession football and, and, and nullify the threat of the opposition, which I think we did. And to be fair, I think there were some experienced players on the pitch. I thought Louise was good. Socrates in the second half was yeah. good. Um you know, uh, beyond that, there wasn't a, a huge amount of experience, um, to be honest. But you know, they responded well. I think they they looked to some of those experienced players for guidance. Louise, in particular, there was you know shots of him chatting with Reese Nelson after the game. Um, yeah. So I mean, look, he didn't make a change until was it who came off for Joe Willock? Um, uh, it was the first sub. Was the first sub was Tobias for Torreira. And then it was a Shaka for Willock. Shaka for Willock. Okay, yeah. So you know that just shows you that he wanted to give these young players the minutes, I suppose, for fitness, but also for him to assess what they do and how they do it in in those circumstances. So you know, yeah. and I, and as well, like protect the sort of senior players or the first eleven players, if you like, because you know they've they've uh, they've got a game coming up this weekend, and you don't need to you know uh, give them unnecessary minutes because you're not learning anything really uh, about them. Um, no. And on that basis, I think it will will have been very encouraging for Arteta. Yeah, and I think Arteta is loving it as well. I think Arteta's really enjoying working with this generation of young talent. He was very effusive about them and mm. their commitment in the training sessions. I just, I, I, I guess that you know he's asking for buy-in from this squad, and I think a lot of these young players really, really have bought in. You know, they're working exceptionally hard sometimes doing jobs that aren't entirely familiar to them for him. And I think he's relishing that opportunity to, you know, develop them and work with them. I mean, that's, you know, first and foremost, what's he been doing for three years? He's a coach. He's Mm. a guy who wants to improve players. And, you know, nowhere is it more evident than when he's working with these young guys. So, yeah, I think it was a a really positive performance overall. I thought we settled really well in that second half. And uh, yeah, a, a lot to be encouraged about individually too. Yeah, I suppose one of the things or a couple of things that we should think about when we look at the young players and look at how he's trying to develop them and work with them is A, there's probably um, a financial reality that we're going to have to deal with. And I've got a question about this in part two. But, right. you know, if we can bring through young players 
um, which might save us money in the transfer market or even generate us money in the transfer market. That, I, I think that's probably got to be a factor or, or certainly part of the the overall strategy. But what he's also got is, as you say, buy-in from these young players. And I was just chatting to Andrew Allen this morning about it. And we were talking about how in the 90th minute, the 91st minute, 92nd minute, you have Martinelli and Eddie Nketiah like working their arses off sprinting across the pitch to close down opposition players. And I think that's what Arteta wants from his players, Mm. whether they're young players or experienced players. This is how he wants his team to play. And this is the sort of commitment that he's looking for. Like defending is not the sole preserve of the defenders. Your first line of defense, if you like, is your your attack. So when they had possession and you see these guys closing down and harrying and chasing and, and really, really working hard, I think what they're doing is responding to the idea that if you work hard, if you work hard and if you show your commitment in training and on the pitch, that you will be rewarded with more minutes because when it comes right down to it, players want to play. Whether they're 18 or they're 30 or they're 34, whatever it is, when the games come around, you want to play. So you're you're out there to give yourself the best chance of being selected by the manager. And and that was, I loved watching that last night. I loved watching those those guys put in the effort, even when the game was basically won. Yeah, and I think you're right to pick out Martinelli, who in the first half, you know, really wasn't in the game particularly. But I thought in the second, just did some amazing work. And as much what he did off the ball as on it, there were some nice touches on the ball and he was more involved. But the closing down, the pressing, the pressing, the harrying is pretty exceptional, Mm. really. And I know he's, you know, he's a teenager, he's got the legs, he can do it. But it really is about having the will and not everybody has that and I think you're right in a funny way some of these kids are sort of setting the standard setting the example I think of what Arteta wants it's maybe because they're more malleable you know it's easier to mould someone who's a a young player coming into your team and I think they kind of set out the template for what he wants from an attacker I mean we haven't really talked about the the second goal in any detail but if you look at the work Eddie Nketiah gets through and his contribution in different areas of the pitch you know in the centre circle and the penalty box certainly that's the kind of performance he's looking for from someone like Alex Lacazette yeah yeah for sure and and look I think we have to give Reece Nelson some credit as well yeah there was a question here um, let me see if I can find it uh, Michael, who's at Espen Gunner, says, is it just me or did Reese Nelson look a lot quicker than before? And to me, I was like taken aback a little bit by his pace mm-hmm. last night. So I don't know if he's suddenly found, you know, his jet heels or if Portsmouth were slow. But the, the interviewer on BT Sport spoke to Arteta afterwards and said, you know, on the sidelines when a couple of the players came off, they were talking about Nelson and how quick he was and how difficult it was to deal with. And, and you look at that combination. So Nelson down the right hand side, across for Nketiah in the middle. Um, there was a touch of good fortune, I think, about about the goal in terms of the touch it took off the defender. But, you know, how do you view what Nketiah is doing um, under Arteta? It's three goals in his last five appearances. The mm. decision to keep him uh, rather than send him back out on loan seems like uh, a sensible one to me now. It looks like it's paying some dividends. And there are signs, and of course it's very early. You can't make any... Um, Uh, massive assessments just yet but with three goals in five appearances at 20 years of age we're beginning maybe to see some hints of a player who can score with some frequency 
If, oh, he, gets, yeah. if I mean, he gets games. I think, you know, people go out and spend big money on players in January because they might get them two or three goals between now and the end of the season. You know, mm. three goals is not nothing. And we're only at the start of March now. And if he gets more chances, which I expect him to, I think he will score more goals. He's one of those players who will probably score goals in any team you put him in. I think the question has always been, can he do the rest of what's mm. required to be a centre forward at Arsenal? You know, is, is he someone who's just a poacher or can he contribute more than that? And I think he is starting to. I mean, it was interesting, yeah, wasn't it, to see him um, drop quite deep at times and to do that link-up work. I think it's an area of his game which, which um, probably is going to develop over time. And it's it's uh, it's maybe not his natural game because he is this penalty box player and this finisher. Mm. But but it was very interesting to see the willingness to do that work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he can't play on the shoulder all the time. He can't patrol the the penalty box all the time. But what he does have, and I've said this before, is he really does have the physical capacity to to be that guy who's a sort of centrifugal focal point mm. play in the centre circle and, and get into the box. I mean, when the ball is wide with Nelson or Martinelli or Saka, he is always there waiting for it. He's always making a good run in the penalty box. And Arteta... You know, we, had, we were quite lucky because there's no uh, proper sort of press conference room that's big enough for everyone who turned up at Portsmouth last night. So we were just kind of down with Arteta on the side of the pitch and um, I managed to ask him about Eddie and he just said he's been phenomenal. He's so thrilled with the way he's applied himself uh, in training and during games. And I think I'm surprised, I must say, I'm pleasantly surprised by how him coming back has worked out. I really was a bit sceptical yeah. about it. I thought, you know, is he going to get any game time? Is it going to help his development? But he's playing games for Arsenal. He's scoring goals for Arsenal. Premier League you know, goals too, last night. Premier forget. League goals too. And, you know, we've, we've said this about Martinelli. I think even at Eddie's age, a couple of years older, if you can come in and score goals at this level, at that young age you've got something about you yeah. because we've seen it so many strikers who haven't really done it at Arsenal in, in the past. You know, your, your Akpoms and your Phobies and people who got the opportunity but never really made that impact. And Eddie, like Gabriel, he, he is doing that. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased. Look, we all love the idea, don't we, of a homegrown goal scorer. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a, a dream for any football fan, but... I think he's showing he could have a part to play and that's the challenge for him between now and May. He's got a brilliant opportunity because you look at Lacazette, his form is nightmarish. You know, I think that has to put question marks over his future. You look at Aubameyang, unfortunately, they're going to be question marks over his future. And Ketia has a chance to show that he can be part of the plans. Not, I'm not even necessarily saying the guy, but certainly part of the plans, you know? For sure. I, it was uh, interesting to hear David Luiz talk afterwards. Um, oh, right. And, and I like, see that. What yeah, I mean, basically, um, he was sort of saying, it was uh, an interview on BT Sports himself and Eddie were there. Mm. And he sort of said, look, these it's great to work with these young guys, but they got to realise what, what an opportunity they have. What a mm. great... Um, chance they're being given at a big club and maybe they're there at exactly the right time maybe the timing is right 
for yeah. young players because of what's going on, because of where we've fallen, the need to rebuild, the need to sort of um, uh, change the the demographic of the squad, if you like, or the age profile of the squad. That these guys, these guys, and the financial reality of of what we can do in the transfer market means that that these guys have a big opportunity. And I think you know if there are people in the squad, and I'm sure there are coaches, and there are you know Mikel Arteta himself, and there are people who are going to be you know telling these guys you know what a, what an amazing chance you have to be at Arsenal and to get minutes and to try and you know forge a first team career here um you know when you see some of the young players actually taking those chances uh it it, it augurs well and it does make me feel um just a little bit more confident about you know what might happen in the future. I know there's a long way to go, and we've got to you know be cautious with young players and everything else. But but all you can do as a young player when you're given the chances is play well and produce. And for the most part, I think the young players that we've given chances to this season have done that. No, you're right, and it's uh, it's an incredible chance actually to be a club of Arsenal size and effectively have this kind of audition window. You know, where they have an opportunity mm. to show Arteta what they can do and how they might be a part of things in the future. You know, if they let this slip them by, and I guess one or two, particularly one, might be in danger of mm. letting that happen, um, they'll regret it. They'll regret it because, you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't get many chances like that, do you, in your career? No, you don't. OK, we had a debut as well. Pablo Marie yep. at, at centre half. I have to say, I was uh, I was impressed with what he did on the ball. I know defensively, it's not the biggest test that he's ever going to face in an Arsenal shirt, but mm. he seemed to slot in very comfortably. I, I liked how 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 uh, calm and assured he was in possession. I thought early on he picked a couple of passes out where I went, okay. I like that. I like the ambition of that pass. You know, he got it forward quickly. He fizzes it into feet. And he does like to to spread it long as well. I think we're seeing maybe why he was somebody who was on the the club's agenda, Um, you know, as a a fairly cost-effective signing who I think will become a a permanent uh, signing in the summer for a relatively small fee. But in terms of what he can do with the ball, I think he completed 13 out of 17 long passes, which is, you know, I don't know how that stacks up actually in terms of, of what the other players do on a weekly basis. But but you could see sometimes the way he switched the ball from from the left-hand side to the right. You know, there's real passing range there. So what, what did you make of him and his, his first appearance in an Arsenal shirt? Yeah, he made one uh, quite brave and good header early on as a defensive intervention that I remember noticing. And I think you're right, on the ball is very good. I was really struck. It's a comparison that's been made elsewhere, but there is a sort of slight Murta Sakari gait to him. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the long legs and the ball sort of always seems to be slightly under his feet, but he has it under control. It's just, he's, very, he's got a very upright style. But uh, I like the look of him, I must say. And I particularly liked what it enabled us to do having a left-footed centre-half. It's been a long time at Arsenal. I think it's since Thomas Vermaelen that we haven't really mm. had a left-footed centre-half. Maybe, or maybe Sylvester. I might be getting my dates mixed up there. But uh, no, certainly one be with any merit. No. Yeah. And uh, it, it does open up the pitch a bit. And, you know, I know Luis has played on the left for us predominantly, but he has played on the right before, I think, with Brazil. Mm. And he didn't look particularly perturbed by that. And it was nice to... 
you know, normally it's kind of so clearly Louise who's bringing it out and it felt like a slightly more even spread yesterday. So I was impressed and it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here because, you know, you want to see him tested at the Premier League level, right? Mm. You want to see him in the bigger games. And I think there's an opportunity for him there because, you know, as, as decent as Mustafi has been, he doesn't feel like a long-term solution. Let's put it like no, that. no, he doesn't. Um, and yeah, it does give you this angle without having to switch the ball from one foot to the other so you can move the ball more quickly. Um, he, he's also got some physical presence as well. I mean, he's a tall yeah. guy. He's, you know, he stood out last night on the pitch for Arsenal because we're not necessarily the biggest team. And certainly when you're playing all those young players, we're definitely not the biggest team. So, you know, to have that bit of physical presence in, in the... In the box is a good thing. Very early days. It's one performance, but I think it's a promising start to to his Arsenal career. So, all in all, mm. um, I think Mikel Arteta will be pleased with what he got from the, those young players because we can talk about the need to rotate from, uh, you know, a, if you want to, in inverted commas, fatigue point of view. Like, he can't keep playing the same players in, in every game. You do have to, you know, give them a little bit of a rest. That is a reality. I'm not saying they should be, you know, uh, tired or on their deathbeds or anything like it. But, you know, being practical, you do have to give them, um, you know, a bit of a rest. The other side of that, though, is is when you give young players a chance and you give them an opportunity to impress, it creates, hopefully, a sort of competitive environment. Now, I have to say, I wasn't expecting Reese Nelson to be as productive as he was last night because he hasn't played since January the 11th. And when a player comes back from injury... You know, normally the first couple of games back, you go, well, he's just back from injuries, sort of finding his feet, finding his rhythm. But he was really, really impressive. Uh, And I think he's somebody who, if not necessarily brought out of the cold, he's somebody that Arteta likes. You know, he's mentioned it more than once. He really does like Reese Nelson. Um, You know, and at a time where, you know, our right-hand side is um, not necessarily set in stone, it's good to have another option. It is, yeah. And I think Nelson was probably the big winner last night. And that's been the case a couple of times, really, under mm. Arteta, where he's, he's had decent games. He scored, obviously, against Leeds. And Arteta likes him in that right-sided role. And you can see why, because he he does offer more natural width, I guess, on that side. Mm. And Arteta wants the pitch to be big, doesn't he? he wants, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, he's constantly asking his team to switch it, to slow, you know, to, to use the full width of the pitch. And because Nelson wants to go outside rather than inside, you know, he inevitably does that slightly more comfortably than, than Pepe. So it was a really good night for him. And I think Nelson sort of is a bit of a salutary lesson in how we should look at young players because... I think at the start of this season, a lot of people were kind of sort of shrugging their shoulders and maybe saying, I don't see it in this kid. You know, I thought he had promise, but he's not producing. And and to, there's a certain degree of truth in that, but it just shows that how quickly these things can change, you know. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, we're now seeing more like what we thought we would from Nelson. And yeah. it's not always a a straightforward trajectory for a young player. Yeah, it's not linear, is it? It's up and down and you go, you know, take a step back to take a step forward and all that. So, you know, I I think as well, there's probably lessons there for some of the other younger players in the squad who maybe haven't quite done it. And I know I've got some questions uh, about Maitland-Niles, but also Joe Willock, who I think was very impressive in the first part of this season, but has struggled Mm. a little bit in in the second half to, to properly find his role and find his form. But, you know, maybe there's a lesson there for us as well when we look at a 
player like Willock to say, okay, look, it's not quite working at the moment, but you know it can turn around, and and the young player can take a step forward when you when you don't necessarily expect it. I don't think we can end the first half though, James, without talking just a tiny little bit about uh, Mike Dean, your um, friend of mine, Mike Dean, your friend and mine. Uh, I thought Portsmouth were a bit lucky last night you know we've talked about the Torreira challenge but there was one early on where Inkedia clearly got an elbow in the side of yeah, the head and he, the he, face, yeah. he just gave the guy a, a talking to and if you know later in that half I think he got booked for um, for a challenge in which he kind of looked almost like he punched Joe Willock in the stomach on the follow through so that probably would have been a second yellow card um, I liked your observation about um uh, Genduzi, the irony of Genduzi being booked for, <laughs> for 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 doing something overly dramatic when it comes from from Mike Dean. Yes, I mean it was it was almost Mike Dean esque the way uh, Gendu- sorry Genduzi, but the way he sort of plonked the ball down there. I I really felt his frustration in that moment, and I was watching that and thinking this is mental, this carnival of sort of Mike <laughs> Dean, the performer. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. performative element of his refereeing. Uh, it's become parodic at this point, and yeah, I, th- I think he's a. I also think he's a pretty dreadful official. Like I think his ego is evident in his decisions, yeah. and yeah, I really, really, really struggled with him last night. Yeah. And actually, do you know what? Not even really for the Torreira thing, as discussed. It was more his general demeanour. Yeah, he just has a face that. You could spend all day slapping with a wet fish. Well, yeah, and also, if there's a performative element to you, um, then inevitably you're going to sort of grandstand a bit. You're going to play to the crowd or the neutral or whoever you think you can curry favour with. And, you know, for last night that was, you know, plucky Portsmouth. And I think you could kind of see that in the way he carried himself. And that's not appropriate for someone who's supposed to be a neutral official. Yeah, I agree. And, and like, I know I've said this to you before, but this, you know, this sort of reframing of Mike Dean as this sort of eccentric, flourishing camp, you know, uh, theatrical, uh, avuncular kind of character in the game of football is just the worst fucking thing that I can think of right now. And I put it to you, James, that anybody responsible for that kind of making Mike Dean a meme nonsense. And there are podcasts out there and there are websites out there. I'm looking at you guys. I put it to you, James, that those people, those people, much like anyone who coughs or sneezes without covering their mouth, should be put in jail. (laughs) Imprisoned. Imprisoned. What sort of sentence are we talking here? Uh, Five years. Okay. Five years. stretch. It is, but you know, people have got to learn. The law has to be a deterrent here. I think. Yeah, I agree. Mike Dean is fifty-one. How much longer are we going to have to put up with this? I don't know, but you know what? My big fear is. My big fear is that, like, at some point, Mike Dean will retire, and then we'll have oh god, a Mike I've... Dean, Mike Riley double header at the top of the PGMOL. This sort of double Mike of unrelenting, unending country when it comes to refereeing and things will just never get better. Uh, that I mean, that would be bad, but I think almost a more frightening prospect is Uh-oh. Mike Dean Uh-oh. on the mic. 
Like, what if Mike Dean enters the media in a big way, in a way that flatters his ego and becomes, like, the go-to referee media guy? He's sat there in the commentary box with Neville and Carragher or something. I have horrible feelings that it's going to be Mike Dean talking us through VAR for the next 20 years or something. It's Mike on the mic. Mike Dean on the mic. Mike on the mic. That's what they'll call it. Mike on the mic. That's what they'll do. We've got Mike um, on the mic. Yeah. MC Mike on the mic doodle doo. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, that, and there was another point in the game, I think after Genduzi had booked, where he was being very pernickety about where a free kick was taken from. And I honestly, if a player had just booted the ball into his face, I think <laughs> they would have had a statue built of them. Like, I, honestly, it would have been worth it. Yeah. We were... We were in control of the game. Just fucking do so. He was so infuriated. Just Just do him. All right. Okay. We will leave it there for part one. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And on the Arsblog Discord server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Would you like to go first or do you want me to hit you with a question? Oh, hit me with it. Like I, uh, a ball in Mike Dean's face. Exactly. I should have had it lined up, shouldn't I? Okay, here <laughs> here it is. It's from Ewan, who's at Lack a Threat on Twitter. And he says, where do you see Ganduzi going next season? Clearly not Arteta's first choice in midfield and is very consistent. Do we keep him for cup games, put him on loan to get some experience, or cash in on him now? Instinct says keep him uh, and use him, you know, as and when we see fit. I mean, I, I don't think Mikel Arteta's too ret- uh, reticent to use him. I think he, um, you know, he, he's picked him plenty of times. Yes, he disciplined him on that occasion post Dubai, but other than that, he's been involved. Yeah. Um, my only sort of nagging doubt is if someone offers you a lot of money for him, I think then you have to consider it just because 
a lot of money is not something we have. Who, who, who would offer you a lot of money for him? And if they did offer you a lot of money, we're talking about a club that's obviously got a lot of money. Does the fact that the club with a lot of money is offering you a lot of money for the player tell you that maybe this is a player you should keep? Probably. Yeah. But, you know, if let's say if Paris Saint-Germain come knocking, um, I think... You know, you might be able to extract more money yeah, from them as a you buyer. Could, you could rip those cunts off for sure. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, you know, <laughs> but but are PSG necessarily going to come and break down our doors for Gunduzi mm, right nope. now, given where his stock is? Probably not. Mm. I, I definitely think keep him, and I think I think this will become a bit of a theme of Arteta's reign. Actually, that we have to learn that just because a player gets disciplined or just because Arteta criticises a player once, particularly in this early part of his reign, it doesn't mean the door is closed. It mm. doesn't necessarily mean it's it's over for them. You know? No, no. I mean, look, I, I'm, I've never been quite on board uh, the Genduzi hype train as some people, uh, and I was a little bit worried about him last... I, I think the one thing that, that worries me is just quite I looked at the stats last night and he had more touches than any other Arsenal player and I think most of those came in a 20 minute period in the first half where he you know just didn't move the ball quickly enough and I thought what was uh, good about his performance in the second half and I thought he was very very good in the second half was a he started moving the ball a lot more quickly um he moved into space more quickly when releasing the ball and I thought he dealt very well with the booking and the 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 sort of the the yellow card that he got which you know, I think was was nonsense. People look at it and say, well, that's a problem with Genduzi and a problem with his attitude and all that kind of stuff. I do think you need a player which, you know, you, you need some character in your players and, and it's about channeling that 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 attitude in the right way, of course, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I, I do think some of the hype has been uh, has been too much about Genduzi. I think there are issues with consistency. I think the raw ingredients are there for him to be a very good player. Uh, and I think it'll be very interesting to see him work with Mikel Arteta. Let's remember, he's only 20. He's only 20 yeah. years of age. He's the same age as, as Willock. He's the same age as Enkedia, the same age as Nelson. Um, you know, he feels more senior because he was played so much by Unai Emery. Um and we sort of become accustomed to him being a fixture in the first team. But I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make any definitive judgment on him just yet. Certainly, I wouldn't consider selling him just yet. Um, I'd like to see how he works with Arteta, and if Arteta can sort of, you know, really channel that that sort of desire he has to be on the ball, to win, and and to make a difference in games. If he can sort of channel, uh, combine that with more uh, greater efficiency, I suppose, in what he does and how he does it. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't interpret Arteta's kind of strictness around Gunduzi as um, anything too negative. No. From what I understand, the coaching staff recognise potentially they've got a real player on their hands, and everything that they're doing with him is to aid his development and try and make sure that he fulfils that potential. And you know, he he kind of he might have had a bit too much too soon. I think Gunduzi, uh, in terms of certainly how much game time he had under Emery. Mm. I mean, it was, I think it was almost reckless of Emery how much he played Gunduzi. You know, it, it, it's great for a young player to get minutes, but in a team that's not functioning and, you know, it can be damaging at times. And 
uh, you know, Emery picked him and picked him and picked him and Ganduzi has kind of withstood that. But it's about how he how he kicks on now in a different environment with a different coach with more demands. I think it's going to be great for him, actually. I really think that Arteta's a good coach to extract better performances from Ganduzi. And mm. I think we'll see that next season. I mean, you know, we'll talk about this across the summer, but there's going to be a big shake-up of this squad and I think midfield is one of the areas where mm. there's most flexibility you know so there is still a big opportunity for him Arsenal mm. um, so we have another question sure uh, let's have one from the Discord uh, and we'll have this one uh, you, okay so it's from Dumbledore's Gunt what a name <laughs> and, you um, say that every time you have a question from Dumbledore's Gunt do I? yeah it's a good name. It is a good name. I'm struck by it, but it's amazing that I sort of forget it. It's like I'm like a goldfish. I I, I don't take things in. So <laughs> would you... We've, I've probably asked this question before. Dumbledore's Gunt says simply, would you proceed in the season playing Nketiah ahead of Lacazette? Uh, the three from six from Nketiah feels like the way to go, but would this cause Lacazette's potential sell-on value to drop ahead of a summer sale? I think you pick your team based on form and merit rather than protecting a, a transfer value, right? Mm. So if we're going to play with Aubameyang on the left and we're looking at a centre-forward, you know, I would have no problem with seeing Nketiah get a bit of a run of games now because I think Lacazette's form in general has been poor and I think there are issues with his game. So, you know, on that basis, yes, I would be happy enough to see Nketiah get some games. Um, whether I whether that's the exact formation I would pick myself is, is another question. Um, I think there are... There are potentially shifts that we could see in, you know, our forward setup in the, in the coming weeks. Um, you know, you could use Gabriel Martinelli. I think he put in the kind of performance last night, which will make Mikel Arteta think, OK, you know, this guy really wants it. He's going to work hard for me, um, regardless of who the opposition is. He's going to work hard and, and give me something down that left-hand side. You've a, an, uh, an elite centre-forward, elite finisher in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who could play as that, um, that centre-forward, um, providing you can get him the service, of course. Um, the other thing I think which is quite interesting is the idea of Kieran Tierney coming back to, well, yes. to full fitness pretty soon. And I'm not getting ahead of myself here, but, uh, and I think Saka has been amazing at left back, but, you know, where Saka has been at his best is in the opposition final third. I think that's fair to say. So what if you could combine, you know, a natural left back uh, in Tierney, who is a very good player, with someone like Saka, who... Um, has learned a lot about the defensive side of the game but can still contribute in the attacking third. What if that could become your left-hand side? That then... It's an intriguing oh, prospect. It is, isn't it? Sure. You know? So um, this, is, this is what I think or why I think the end of the season is going to be very interesting. You know, if we do have big decisions to make about our strikers, um, you know, c come the summer, both Lacazette and Aubameyang, you know, we know their situations probably mean uh, at least one of them is going to go. You know, why not look to the future a little bit in terms of how you set up your team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, 
what happens with Nketiah, I think, on Saturday against West Ham because he's played the last two Premier League games. Mm. Um, but that was when we had the Europa League and Lacazette was starting those matches. So I think it'll be fascinating to see which one Arteta goes for, if it is one of those two, um, mm. on Saturday. On the question of balance, I mean, Gunnar Punner on Twitter asked, what are we learning about balance? Uh, seems like Pepe on the right only really works if the right back can overlap. Same with the right footer on the left. I know it's Portsmouth, but did Reese Nelson's game make you think we could use a right footer there in this system? Mm. We sort of touched on that in part one. I think there is something to be said for that and potentially for shifting Pepe inside one, maybe, to try and sort yeah, of... Yeah, there was a question here. I was on the Discord from Spiffle Spaffle who said, what do you think of the suggestion from Clive on the Arsenal Vision podcast that Pepe could or should get a, a run at the number 10 position? Does Nelson's position or performance last night, rather, suggest that it's worth a try? Yeah, I'm intrigued by that possibility, certainly, because, you know, I understand why we don't want to commit both our fullbacks to be as heavily overlapping as they as they might be but it is useful to have a player outside Pepe because he's going to look to go inside almost every time and then back outside and then inside and then back outside and then inside again um, and I think he could do real damage as a number 10 the question is whether he can do the kind of job we were asking Joe Willett to do yesterday where a lot of the game is back to goal, you know, coming back into midfield and, and linking things up. Whether he can do that, I don't know. But certainly in that inside channel, mm. he would be a threat. You know, he could get shots away from there. He could be creative. What do you think? I just worry, you know, about Pepe playing on the inside um, in terms of how long he hangs on to the ball. I think you need to... Yeah. You really need to move the ball quite quickly and be aware of what's around you. I think Pepe still is a little bit of a head-down player in terms of how he how he operates and he can beat men. We know that he can beat men and that could be very valuable in the final third if you're looking to break down a sort of packed defence, for example, if he can you know get past a couple of players and open up some space or turn the opposition back towards their own goal. You could see how it would be useful. But um, yeah, I do... I, I, I guess I'd have to see it. I mean, it doesn't feel in my gut like it's something that would really work. But, you know, I don't rule it out as as something that might, you know. Um, I would be very surprised, though, if Mikel Arteta ever played Pepe in, in that position. But I, I think what Nelson showed last night is the benefit of having a player who can actually get to the, uh, get to the byline and put a cross in. Because we talked mm-hmm. about the, the two goals um, that he created um, you know, the second one in particular was was great running down the right hand side, just classic wing play, if you like. It just went beyond the uh, beyond mm. the fullback and into the penalty area and put in a ball from which we we scored. But there was also another one where he he did almost exactly the same thing, drove into the box, really quick feed and and pulled across back for Gabriel Martinelli. And I think you're looking at that as being, you know, a quarter of a second wrong in terms of the timing, either Martinelli's run or or Nelson's cross or whatever it is. He just couldn't get his head over it. But it was a really good piece of play from Nelson. And I think when we... You, you look at the the Olympiacos game and how frustrating it was to get the ball in those positions and all we did was sort of get towards the byline and then we cut back and then we you know start play again and start the horseshoe again if you've got somebody who is more direct 
then it does give you another option. It gives the opposition something to think about. It makes the opposition defenders think differently about how they defend against you. It might open up space elsewhere on the pitch. So, you know, I don't think... um, You know, I know Pepe has been uh, quite good recently and he's contributed in terms of goals and some assists as well. So, you know, I'm not saying that that he's he's been bad or anything like that, but I'm not 100% sure that his position on the right-hand side is set in stone after seeing what Nelson can do, again, with the caveat that it was just Portsmouth. But, you know, what what more can you do when you're a player given a chance other than go out and do your stuff and hope that the manager recognises and, and appreciates it? Yeah, I'm just watching back sort of clips of Nelson's performance last night. It was the chance he created for Martinelli in the first half, wasn't it? When he sort of is almost, the ball's just a fraction behind him and yeah. he heads it over the bar. His cross for Socrates' goal is really good. I mean, that's a, a whipped cross from the right. It's funny, I never really, I never really thought of Nelson as a conventional winger. You know, I always kind of figured he'd finish his career playing more inside as, you know, a number 10 or something like that. Partly because like you, I didn't, Maybe I didn't know he had quite that acceleration that he showed mm. last night. Um, but it, I, I do think that he he's clearly a player that Arteta has earmarked for something. And I think he likes what he does to the shape. He likes what he does to the structure. He keeps to the shape. You know, he, he he's pretty disciplined in getting out and he's got chalk on his boots. Mm. And that's what Arteta wants. He wants to make the pitch big. He said last night of him, he's a special talent. He can eliminate players one-on-one. Uh, and, you know, that's 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 a, an incredibly valuable asset when you're looking to break teams down. I, I think it was a really good night for him and I'm really pleased for him because it's not been, as we said, a linear season. It's not been always straightforward. Mm. Even his loan last year was kind of up and down. But I don't think anyone who saw him as a kid doubts the the ability the natural ability that's yeah there. I mean I'll tell you what he said afterwards about uh, Nelson is he said Reese is a special talent he can eliminate players in one v ones every mm-hmm. time he gets into those situations in the final third he is a stretch he's been out for a couple of months but we got him back now and that's what he's capable of doing so it sounds to me like he's a player that's definitely in the mind of the manager um, yeah I mean that's you know as positive as he's been about any individual really so sure is. again it's it'll be fascinating to see what that means for team selection yeah um just in terms of balance i i don't know if we had a question about this but i was struck by sort of the way i don't know if you noticed but it seemed to me like in the second half the shape of the team shifted a little bit yeah with sabayos doing kind of that shaka thing and and Absolutely. Saka playing yeah, a bit yeah. further forward yeah and and uh, you know it was kind of back to what we know and it's interesting that I think in the last few games, Saka hasn't started quite so high. Like he's played almost a bit more like a conventional mm. left back in some yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then yesterday at half time, it felt very definitely that Sabas dropped in and did the Shaka job. And that also made me wonder, and he actually did it really well. I thought Sabayos mm. and it, it made me slightly reflect on his midfield partnership with Shaka and think, you know, have we got two players there who kind of want to do the same job? You know, the balance isn't quite right for me still between mm. that pairing. Mm. Well, like but like yeah. you said, you know, these are games from which Arteta will learn about his players and learn about the combinations uh, that he can mm. put out. So, you know. Uh, Very true. Your turn or my turn? I think it's your turn. Okay. Um, Josh, Josh Robinson, 87, says eight centre-backs. 
Louise, <laughs> Socrates, Mustafi, yeah. Holding, Chambers, Mavropanos, Pablo Marie, William Saliba. We need five for next season. Who stays and who goes? I think Ben off Saliba. He's done nothing for us this yeah, season. Yeah, been absolute waste. I mean, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 30 million quid. We've seen nothing for Do you that. know what? He's he'd made no tackles. <laughs> no scored no goals, no assists, no clearances, no, clearances, no interceptions, no blocks. I know. What's the? F- I mean, another but transfer he hasn't disaster. Lost a single duel, <laughs> so he's doing something right. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's so far unbeaten. <laughs> he is the real invincible <laughs> when he was Saliba. As long as he never plays, he'll be fine. Um, yes, it's too many centre backs, isn't it? I mean, I, I had a question about. Uh, Rob Holding here uh, from Henry Powell. What can you see happening with Rob Holding in the summer? <sighs> we need five. Louise isn't going anywhere, I don't think. No, I don't think there's there's any real point in a way. I mean, look, you could talk you can uh, talk about upgrading and improving every player, but you know, he signed a two year deal. Um, he's going to see out the final year of his deal. He's been the best as well. I mean, you know, I know it's slim pickings, but I think he's probably been the best. Since Arteta um, took over, for sure. Yes. Yes, he was pretty diabolical in the in the end days of Emery. Um, but he wanted him out, you know, that's what he's like. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's pretty clear, isn't it, like how, when he likes a manager. You know, if you think about how he's been since Arteta came in, even doing giving Nelson the pep treatment, uh, the literal pep talk on the end of the pitch yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. last night. You know, it's quite the transformation from Luis. But um, so he'll be here. Saliba, you'd think, will be here. Um, the rest, I think Pablo Marie will be there. Yes, I think so too. Uh, so that's three. I don't think you can count Callum Chambers because of his injury. I, I think, think that's fair, that yeah. With like Rob when, Holding. When did he get injured? In January? Yeah. So we're talking about this time, well, we're talking about another nine months, really, you know, 12 months to even start getting back to proper fitness. So, Yeah, so I don't think he's on that list, you know. I think that's one off the eight. Um, And it also means he can't go anywhere. So there you go. Um, So Louise, Marie, Saliba. I think I'm on record as saying I think Holding should go out on loan next season. I really do. I think he's got to go somewhere and play if he's got any chance at Arsenal. I just don't think he'll get minutes. But I guess there is an argument that with a full pre-season, maybe he'll be a different player. Mm. What do you think about Rob? I think, you know, he's clearly having some problems after the the ACL. Um, You know, fitness, he played for the under-23s the other day. We weren't really told about an injury per se with holding, were we? We know he's had some knee problems and and what have you. But, um, yeah, he's very much at a crossroads in his career. Um, I don't think uh, we can underestimate the impact the ACL has had on him and the the associated injuries. But it it, it is a bit of a worry, obviously. Yeah. he is a player that we were quite enthused about, though. Let's face yeah. it, you know. So, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write him off by any means. But, you know, if I was, if I was looking at that list, and I think you're right, we can't really include Chambers in it. Um, I think the three that are probably going to go, or that I would get rid of, are first Mustafi, 
second mm. Socrates and possibly Mavropanos. It depends on you know how the rest of his season goes in uh, in Germany. Uh, the loan spell that he's got. I think I could be wrong, but. I thought I saw somebody say that he picked up another injury, which, of course, oh, is not great, you know, because a big, big part of his problem at Arsenal has been the fact that he just he hasn't been fit enough. But, you know, when we're rebuilding, I don't see the point in hanging on to Mustafi at all. You know, we've had this discussion. We've been down this road, you know, fair play to him, all the rest. But he's got a year left on his contract. Do you really give a guy who's been that poor for us for that that often do you give him a new deal just because he's had a few good games and I think you know the the quality of some of his performance has been overstated so you know no the reality for me is like no there's no way you give Mustafi a new deal therefore you sell him Socrates similarly looks like a player who Arteta doesn't quite fancy I mean look he, he's asking him to do a job at right back and fair play to him he's he's doing it um, when he's asked and he scored a very good goal last night but I think realistically, you know, if you're being kept out of the side at centre half by Mustafi, it says something about how the coach uh, views you. So again, you know, with one year left on his contract, what choice do we have but sell? So those are the three for me. And then maybe you bring in somebody else in the the summer uh, as well. So, Yeah, I I think I agree with that list. Socrates, I think... You know, he's got a year left on his deal. I don't know what you could get from him, but I think there's a, a strong chance that he'll go. Mm. I think Arteta likes him in the group. You know, I think he likes some of his leadership qualities. And, you know, whenever you watch an Arsenal game at the moment, Socrates is usually sat on the bench and he's very involved. You know, he's he. I think Arteta's done a good job of making him feel valued without necessarily playing him mm. all the time. Yeah. Because um, he doesn't fancy him at centre-half. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, but yeah, so I think he, he'll be in some jeopardy. But it's a there will definitely be churn in that part of the pitch. It's a big old list, isn't it, of centre backs? Mm, for sure. Um, have you got a mate Lars question? I feel like we should. I, I we do. Have to yeah, with that. Uh, we've got one from Adam Adam Austin, who's at Adam underscore ma ninety four, who says salutations both salutations. To you. That's a very that's a good league greasing. It is right? indeed. Uh, do you see Ainsley Maitland Niles staying at the club next season? Bar the final few minute cameo last night, he seems to have been left out in the cold by Arteta. And Elroy Figueredo, who's at Figgy Stein, says, "What do you make of the Niles situation right now?" And uh, just before we go on with it, Mikel Arteta mm-hmm. was asked about Ainsley Maitland Niles, and um, what he had to say was. Ainsley needs to put his head down and work hard and show me every day in training that he wants it more than anyone else. He wants to play for this club and fight for his place. So I think we can read a little bit into that as to why Maitland-Niles has not been playing very often, as to why uh, a lumbering central defender, God bless him, Socrates, is being played at right back ahead of him when Maitland-Niles is just, you know, naturally a much better fit. So how do you view the Maitland-Niles situation? And what did you make of him being brought on with two minutes to go? That was uh, interesting, wasn't it? I mean, it felt very pointed to me uh, to introduce him so late in the game. Did it Mm. to you? It did, yeah. It felt to me like, okay, I want to see how this guy reacts to being brought on, uh, you know, at a pointless time in a game which is already won. 
Is he going to sprint all over the place, kill himself? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, is he going to throw a strap? Is he going to... Yeah, yeah. It felt a bit... A little bit of a test. Yeah, and also... you know, it means more work in a funny way. It means that Maitland-Niles has got to go out after full time as he did on the pitch and do quite a lengthy warm down because he sort of got warmed up, got on and not really done anything. So it's actually a bigger and more um, involved experience than it might look coming on for the last mm. minute because it basically means you've got to go out and do sprints with Shad Forsyth on the pitch afterwards. And, um, you know, so I think he was probably seeing how he reacted to that, how he felt about that. He... The problem with Maitland-Niles is, it's interesting, isn't it? It's sort of what we have with Emery and Ozil, where like his body language isn't great. His body language isn't great. So when you look at him, you sort of look at him and go, yeah, I can kind of see, I can kind of see what Arteta's talking about a lot of the time. Um, but I think that is his demeanour and his personality as well that mm. plays into that. I don't think it's over for him. I think that Arteta's already shown that when he lays, throws down these gauntlets, you know, they are challenges. They are there for people to meet. They are there for people to overcome. And some people have already done that, you know, in the short time that he's been there. Um, Am I especially confident that Maitland-Niles is going to do it? No, I'm not. I think if you ask me to predict, Mm. I'd say he'll probably go in the summer. Um, Mm. But... To David Luiz's point in his post-match interview, what a shame if that is what happens because the opportunity that Maitland-Niles has had in the last, however long it's been, 12 months or whatever, to establish himself as a potential long-term right-back option at Arsenal is a massive opportunity. Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure it's one that he's really taken whether that's because he didn't want to or because just naturally he's not a defender you know and and we've sort of fluctuated on this a bit where you go Mm -hmm. yeah I don't think it's going to happen for Maitland-Niles at right back and you think to some of the games last season and you know I'm not blaming the Europa League final defeat on Maitland-Niles by any stretch of the imagination but it was a game where I think his shortcomings at fullback were very ruthlessly exposed. And then he came in and Arteta came in and he did quite well. And you're thinking, actually, you know, if there's anyone who could get more out of Maitland-Niles in that position, it's Arteta because of the way that he wants him to play, this sort of tucked in midfield role, which might suit him. And then, of course, he's being left out of the team because, well, you know, whether something happened on the training ground or whether he just doesn't see... Um, the intensity in Maitland-Niles that he sees from other players, whatever it might be. He, he definitely doesn't sound convinced. As you say, you can't close the door completely because Arteta has said similar things about other players. You know, he said things about, um, uh, you know, Sabias, for example, where, you know, it was the same thing. He's got to work harder in training if he wants to play. All of a sudden, Sabayos mm. is working harder in training, working harder on the pitch, and he's getting games. So you can't close the door. If you were to ask me to put you know, a bet on it, I would say that Maitland-Niles will be, will be sold during the summer. Mm. I think he's a player who, if the manager isn't quite convinced about and is somebody because of his stature as a young English player, will generate you know, a sort of £20 million signing for Bournemouth, that kind of a signing then I think we would do that. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And that's a very valid use of the academy. 
that is a really important thing for us to do to sell better to get money for these players we've spent time developing and it feels like it's it's going to go that mm. way for Maitland Niles um, yeah a, a, an interesting one and it will become a bit of a case study I suspect when we talk about other young players in future but uh, it doesn't look brilliant for him mm. right now I mean ultimately surprise is even I would say Socrates is even less suited to playing at right back than Maitland-Niles in yeah. some ways uh, and yeah he's doing it so I think that tells its own story yeah um, this isn't a question but it's a tweet from at uh, Drew who's at N12 Guna which is that hashtag Gazidis out is trending <laughs> have you seen this? I did see this yeah yeah Milan apparently he's uh, going to sack Boban and Milan fans are very upset by this. Um, yes, I, I like uh, this from a, at AFC Forza Milano. Oh, we should do uh, some Gazidis out. Hashtag Gazidis out. Let me see. Yeah, he, let's get Gazidis on this. already left Arsenal with this junk. He must be avoided <laughs> at all costs. We have it hard enough. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can get this hashtag out here. I guess most of them will be in Italian. Gazidis. To be honest, no, most are in English. I guess if you're using Gazidis out... You're going to be tweeting in English. Um. Uh, uh, here's one from D Danilo Carvajal, D Carvajal 23. I'm not even an AC Milan fan, uh, he, but no club deserves this piece of shit except Tottenham. They definitely deserve that. Hashtag Gazidis out. Louis Amato, AC Milan, do the right thing. He's not making us better. Hashtag Gazidis out. Um, Yasmo, who's at Hammeroen or something. Uh, hashtag Gazidis out. Mr. Gazidis and Elliot, it's time you need to go. Enough is enough. With a picture of Pinocchio. <laughs> oh, Every Milan fan, this is from at Footmasters, every Milan fan that cares about the future of AC Milan should post Gazidis out and leave it as a pinned message. We are AC Milan. Gazidis is nothing in football and will never be anything. Hashtag Gazidis out. Uh, Alberto Tabone. Hashtag Gazidis out. I am incensed by the disgraceful behaviour of this incapable failed manager and the ignorance and arrogance of Elliot. These People have nothing to do with Milan. Let's boycott any Milan tickets or products until these scumbags are out. Wow. AC Milan discussions, get out of our beloved Milan. <laughs> you know nothing about our club. Legends like Maldini and Boban, who suffered as players and managers to bring that club to the top, are the ones who know what's needed to bring it back. Who are you? Hashtag Gazidis out. Well, they should have asked us who he was. We yeah, we, we would have told you. We would have told you. All you had to do was ask. Uh, last one from uh, at I underscore long sleeves. Such a fucking tourist in football. You are not capable of doing your job properly. Do us a favor and get the fuck out of club. A piece of <laughs> Boban's hair is worthy more than your whole existence. Hashtag Gazidis out. <laughs> a piece of Boban's hair is worthy more than your wow. whole existence. Wow. Well, I'm pleased it's someone else's problem. It is. But sympathies with Milan. You know, we reach out our hands across the digital world to AC Milan fans. Mm. But also, I'm glad he's your problem. <laughs> <laughs>
<clears throat> we've yeah. got some problems of our own, but I'm glad that That's one is true. yours. We've endured enough of it. Yeah. Um, the man who, who earned £22 million plus in his tenure at Arsenal. Um, yeah. He's done very he's, he, he's done very well fo- for himself. Football's made a big contribution to Ivor Gazidis. Let's yeah. put it like that. It certainly has. Okay, one final question here. Come up. Um, it? Well, it's two questions in in one sort of theme. Um, Jack, who's at Jack or Gogled on Twitter, says, "Goodly morning, fellas." How relieved are your bumholes from months of puckering after seeing the Mug Smashers not only get beaten, but hung, drawn, and quartered by a relegation-threatened Watford, while Will Dewey, who's at Will Dewey 5, says, Seeing as the Invincibles didn't win the Champions League that season, do we just need to finally admit it to ourselves that it was really just a team of journeymen footballers managed by a man not fit to lace Roberto Di Matteo's managerial boots? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, fascinating watching all that play out uh, about the Invincibles. I must say, mightily relieved. I was happier than I expected to be about Watford beating Liverpool. Um, your hometown, think, your hometown club, James. My hometown. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think I'd kind of resigned myself almost to Liverpool going unbeaten. I, you know, they looked so formidable. Um, and it made me really happy. I think it was the pick-me-up that was required after the Europa League defeat. And, yeah, it showed how precious and how unique that achievement is. I really, really think it's fantastic. And I don't know many Arsenal fans who would swap it for for anything, really. Yeah, I think, you know, there's this wider discussion of, like, would you have, you know, swapped to defeat that season to also win the Champions League, et cetera, et cetera. But you're dealing in these sort of hypotheticals that, that, you know, just don't really apply to anything, you know? Um, That wasn't wasn't the choice. Yeah, it wasn't. We didn't have a choice, did we? It wasn't like, well, if you lose against Leicester on the final day, you can, you know, whatever. So we don't have that choice. And I think we need to look at the achievement for what it is is a, a unique, remarkable achievement in the world of football. The idea that you can downplay it by saying we didn't win a, a completely separate competition is just complete nonsense, in my opinion. I don't understand how you can purport to to understand the game of football and not view this, this unique achievement as something which will be held as precious to Arsenal fans, regardless of what we did or didn't do in the fucking Champions League. I mean, you don't need to tell us, of all people, that 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 team underachieved in Europe, right? You don't need to tell us. We were there. We saw it. We lived it. We experienced it. So, you know, just absolute bollocks, to be perfectly honest. And this idea that, oh, well, they drew 12 games. Yeah, but we didn't lose any. Yeah, but Liverpool have won more games. Yeah, but we, we didn't lose a single game all season. Has anyone done it since? No. That means it's really fucking hard to do. Really hard to do, especially when you win the title by, what, 11, 12 points, as we did that season, with four games to spare, and you've won the title, you've achieved your goal that season in, in domestic terms, and you have to get yourself up. You have to get yourself up for, uh, you know, for, for more games. I mean, I could... Am I misremembering here? I'm going to go back. Um, are you fucking... Uh, Firefox is an absolute asshole of a browser sometimes. Um, it just quit on me there as, as I was going to to do something. But I th- I could be wrong. But when we won the double in 
97, 98. We had a couple of games left in that season. And did we lose them both? Yeah, possibly. I'm going to, I'm just looking at the season. Uh, yeah, we beat Everton 4 0. Um, you know, would you believe it and all that? And in our next game, we got beaten 4 0 by Liverpool and then lost 1 0 to Aston Villa before right, yeah. we went on to win the FA Cup final. So and it's often a bit like that. Once you've won, yeah. you know, the foot comes off the gas. So it's really stupid, and a lot of the, the the conversation about it seems to me to be born out of a kind of of bitterness, as if they want you know trying to downplay the achievement of going through a season unbeaten because we didn't win the Champions League or whatever. Give me a fucking break. I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's an incredibly difficult thing to do, as evidenced by the fact that no one's done it for about a hundred years, apart from us. Uh, it's pretty special and I think the reason it's valuable is because it's unique if someone else went a season unbeaten then it would lose its mm, sheen sure. but no one else has it's something only Arsenal have done and something that only Arsenal fans can truly yeah. celebrate and appreciate and listen I mean ultimately it does. we'd have to give a fuck when anyone else thinks yeah, about it that's true but I, can I also just make one final point on this which yeah. is that you know, it's okay to celebrate something that we've done in the past, even though we're a bit shit now. Oh, you of know, course. you can allow yourself to be happy with these incredible memories that you might have from that season, assuming that you haven't you haven't sort of wiped them out with years of bitterness and rancor and 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 vitriol at all things Arsenal. Let yourself be fucking happy about what we did then, because it was fucking brilliant. It was mm. amazing. And it's okay, mm. even if it happened 15 years ago or 16 years ago or 20 years ago, to celebrate it, to remember it. Like, nobody nobody ever fucking says on the anniversary of Anfield 89, well, yeah, well, you know, we haven't won the title since, you know. There's never any downplaying of that achievement, even though no. that happened 30 years ago or 31 years ago now this year, you know? So, you know, there's, there's this weirdness that goes on. Maybe it's because of Wenger or whatever it might be. But, like, just enjoy. Enjoy the good times. Fucking miserables. Couldn't agree more. Shall we leave it there? Yeah, that's a good note to finish on, I think. Okay, well, listen, safe travels back from the uh, from the luxury uh, Ibis Hotel in Portsmouth. <laughs> I might just stay here, Andrew. It's beautiful. I've got to go find this adapter, actually, so I might just be in Portsmouth now. Yeah, do, and, uh, you know, get yourself a bit more chicken, you know. Sure, why not? Waft I've still got way. some probably in the rooms. Yeah, this <laughs> way. <laughs> Just stick the bones in it your pockets. Smells pocket. like it. Stick the That's bones sure. in your pockets. You'll be fine. Yeah, that'll fine. be good. All right, well, listen. On the train. Uh, thank you, as ever, James. Thank you to all of you for listening. Um, we will be uh, around with a podcast, uh, an Arsecast on Friday, looking ahead to the West Ham game and lots more besides. So join us for that one. Um, and until then, take it easy. Bye bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.